Good evening. Hope all of you are doing well. We are learning Maseches Beitza Daf Lamidvav. Um, we're going to be starting at the very top of that page. But as a little bit of background, yesterday we had asked a question as our new parak began about how much is appropriate to carry through the um, through the skylight from the roof. What is considered the normal amount to um, to lower down? And we brought a Mishnah from Maseches Shabbos. So Ma'inyan Shmita Eitzel Har Sinai. You can't compare Shabbos and Yom Tov, and if you ha- if you are going to, you have to be very nuanced about it. It's not just a simple thing to compare Shabbos and Yom Tov, as we'll see today. We know the famous line that "Ain bein Shabbos liyom tov nefesh bilvad," but that doesn't mean that every last blessed din is exactly the same. So the Gemara starts at the top with a couple of distinctions. We're going to learn three questions, all of which will end in a teku. But let's get started at the top. Hasam. Hasam over there in Masecha Shabbos, Tanan, we had a Mishnah. That when one is cleaning out um, an Otsir, they, they can't clean it out entirely. And how do we know that that's what the words Avaloas HaOtsir mean? Because that's what Shmuel told us. Let's see, Amar Shmuel. My Avaloas HaOtsir, Avalo Yigmoras HaOtsir Kulo. What we're concerned about is that one may end up removing all of the bales of hay. And if you did that, then the floor is going to be totally empty. And if you have some, uh, you know, compulsive tendencies, you're going to see a little bump on the ground. You're going to stomp on it with your feet or smooth it out with your feet or with your hands. And that's an Isser Doraisa called Mashve Gumos, La Gumos, to smooth out the bumps. And that would be halachically problematic. So Shmuel was concerned that by Hilchos Shabbos, that we're not allowed to empty out the whole room out of concern about Mashve Gumos. Well, do we bring this concern of Hilchos Shabbos over the bridge to the world of Hilchos Yom Tov? What would we say by Yom Tov? Do we say, Would we say by Shabbos? There we're, we're discussing something that's so strict. Maybe we should say that by Yom Tov, the Halachos should be a little bit different. By Shabbos, we have a concern of Bittal Beis HaMedrash, but we don't. So we don't know. Know if, if this can be expanded from one world to the other. Our, in other words, let's ask the question again, and then we'll move on to the next question because we're not getting an answer yet. We're not getting an answer at all. The Gemara is going to answer Teku. So the first question is, is that when we have a halacha by Shabbos, that you're allowed to move things, but not to the point that the whole room is empty because we're concerned about Mashvagumos, do we bring that concern over to the world of Yom Tov when you're moving things on Yom Tov? We don't know. Eight lines down, Lamed Vav we have in our Mishnah, Mishil and Peres Terech That's our Mishnah right on the previous Amud at the beginning of the Perech. That we're allowed to lower fruits through the skylight on Yom Tov. Rav Nachman, Rav Loshanu El Rav Nachman says that you can only bring fruit through the skylight that's actually on your roof, on the roof that has the skylight. Aval migag legag, from the neighbor's roof into your skylight? Lo, that's not allowed. Vitanya namihachi, first long line, and we have a lot of long lines on this page, but you'll see it, it moves pretty quickly. Vitanya namihachi, the Brisa supports this idea about limiting lowering stuff through a skylight from a, a roof that is not a, on the skylight roof. What does the Bryce say? In Metaltal and Migag Ligag, you're not allowed to bring fruits from one roof to another. Afiluk Shegag was saying, Shavin, if you've ever been on top of the Shuk in the old city, you'll know that the roofs are, you can literally just walk. Okay, sometimes there's some like minor thresholds, but it's really easy. We don't care. You're not allowed to bring fruits from your neighbor's roof into your skylight. That's not allowed. I feel like Shagagosei and Shabbat. So it says the Gemara, the same question. We have that din 
by the laws of Yom Tov. Hasamai over there by Shabbos. What would the halacha be? Do we say that hacha skipping the parentheses hacha over here who the asra and Yom Tov is prohibited to go from roof to roof? Mishum Yom Tov the kil because on Yom Tov we're concerned that maybe one will be mezalzel in Yom Tov they'll desecrate the Yom Tov. Okay, no big deal. Well, Yom Tov is more uh, is, is more uh, is more uh, of a concern for being mezalzel because there are fewer restrictions on Yom Tov. Don't get me wrong. There's still a lot of malachas on Yom Tov, but we are concerned about Zilzal Yantav. The Gemara has probably used this line about 30 times since the beginning of Shas. We're very concerned about Zilzal Yantav. Aval, but maybe we would have said by Shabbos to Chamira, by Shabbos, which is very strict, maybe we would have said, we would have said, we could have been more lenient by Shabbos. Oh, Dilma, no. Maybe Mahacha, just like by Yom Tov, uh, that by Yom Tov, the Ikehav said, Peros Amrislo, where uh, by Yom Tov, the case that we're discussing is about losing fruit, but Hasam, in the case of Shabbos, we're not talking about losing fruit, the lake have said Paris local chicane, all the more so we should be restricted. We don't have an answer to that either. So that question was, again, just to summarize question two, is do we say that the restriction of moving things from roof to roof applies only on Yom Tov by fruit? Or can we bring it over the bridge to the world of Shabbos that when you're moving things on Shabbos, you also cannot move it from roof to roof? Question three, we're about a quarter of the way down five lines into the wide line, says the Gemara. Hacha, over here by the laws of Yom Tov, we've learned, it's not, we have in our Mishnah, lo yishal shalem bechevel bechalonos, that one is not allowed to lower them down with a rope through a window. Below, Yoridem derach sulamos, and one also cannot go down a ladder, not allowed. So that law we know applies by the laws of Yom Tov. Just to make a uh, a slight correction is that it's when it says hacha tnan, it should be hacha tanya. Ahacha, by the world of Yom Tov, we have a brisa. So then, now let's ask our question. We said on Yom Tov, you're not allowed to lower things down with a rope, and you're not allowed to use a ladder. Hasam, in regards to Hilchos Shabbos, my hacha, do we say over here by Yom Tov, hacha, but Yom Tov would ask the lake of Bittal Beis because there's no Bittal Torah involved. We know that Yom Tov is Chatzil Lachem and Chatzil Lashem. So there are, people are spending a lot more time at home. On Shabbos, there's no... There's no real din of chatzil Hashem. You're supposed to be in the base midrash on Shabbos. That's what was that was the standard. So do we say uh, that by uh, by Yom Tov there's no betel beis hamedrash? About Shabbos, the ikah betel beis hamedrash shaper dami. Maybe we could be lenient to lower things uh, down uh, using a ladder. Uh, Odilma, or perhaps we should say we're one third of the way down, almost at the two dots there. Uh, or do we say Odilma hacha by Yom Tov dika hefsed peiros We're dealing with fruits that could spoil if it rains. But hasam in the case of Shabbos where we have to move bales of hay deleka hefsed peiros lokol shaken that it should not be allowed. Take we don't know the answers to any of these questions. So we've given three ca- three cases, but let me just give the yisod, uh, and the yisod is like this: when there is a rabbinic injunction that applies by Yom Tov. Do we expand it to Shabbos? When there is a rabbinic injunction that, that applies by Shabbos, do we extend it over to Yom Tov? The short answer is that every case needs to be analyzed and many of the cases will be left in a teku. We just don't know this level of nuance. Shabbos and Yom Tov are so similar. It makes it so hard to discern the nuances from one case to another. And therefore, one should not make those assumptions on their own on their own lakula, nor should they make them lechumra. If you have a shayla, you should ask a competent posek. But in general, we have a lack of clarity when it comes to extending either a din, a din by Yom Tov to Shabbos or a din from Shabbos to Yom Tov. One third of the way down at the two dots, we had said in our Mishnah, that one is allowed to cover Peros in order to prevent them from getting wet because they're drying up on your roof. This is our Mishnah 
right here at the beginning of the parak. It's the end of the first line of, the, of our Mishnah on Lamed Hayamid Beis, where it says, that one is allowed to cover fruits with a kli if water is dripping. So let's analyze this. The Gemara says, You're even allowed to cover, forget fruit, you're even allowed to cover bricks. Now the bricks that we have, the way that our bricks are made is that they're, they're probably oven dried, I presume, and they're ready to be uh, exposed to the elements. Their bricks were air drying and they were not ready to be exposed to the elements. And the introduction of water to these bricks would potentially have ruined them. So the Gemara says in the name of Ula, and we're going to be analyzing this Shita and his counterpart over the course of the next many lines. Ula says, Not only can you cover fruit, you can even cover bricks that have yet to fully dry. Only fruits because those are, those are, uh, those are edible. Those are actually usable, but bricks are not. Rav Yitzchak, who does not allow the covering of bricks and who only allows the covering of peros, he follows his own shita. Okay, this is a very important idea. It sounds simple, but let's just make sure we understand it. If you have one kli that you're picking up to use for another scenario, you can only pick up that kli for another scenario if that other scenario is also mutter. So therefore, he holds that because fruits are edible and they may get ruined, you can pick up a clean cover them. But the bricks, not usable. You can't build. They're muksa. So therefore, you can't pick up product A to cover product B because product B is not eligible to be used. And that's why he argues against Ula. But the Gemara says, we, we have a source that seems to lean in one direction. Tanan, the Mishnah writes, look at the language. Mechasnes ha peros What does our Mishnah say? That you're allowed to cover fruits. What does it not say? You're allowed to cover bricks. Peros in, avir delivni, lo. So this is a kasha on the shita of Ula. How can you say that you're allowed to cover the bricks? Our Mishnah specifically said peros, and even the most uh, simple learner could look at the word peros and say, why did you say bricks if it says peros? And the Gemara says, that's not a good argument. Hu adin, really halachically speaking, it's also logical to assume, de afilu avir delivni, that one is even allowed to cover bricks that would be damaged by the rain. The idea the ton of resha mashilin peros, because the resha of our Mishnah was specifically talking about fruits, though even though it's not specifically applicable to the Seifa, but still, Tana Seifa Nami same language. But halachically speaking, whereas in the Reisha, it's only true by Peros that you're allowed to lower them because of rain through the skylight. It is only true that in the Seifa, it is also true that you can also cover uh, bricks. We don't want them to get ruined, says the Gemara. Wait one second. Tanan, Bechein Kade Yain, Bechein Kade Shemen. I don't understand. All of a sudden, we started detailing things in our mission. If you want to tell me that Peros was Stam, that it really wasn't specific to Peros, like we just answered, and really the only reason we used Peros in the Seifa was because of the Reisha, but really anything can be covered. So why then did the Mishnah go back in detail that wine and oil were allowed to be covered? If bricks are allowed to be covered, certainly wine and oil, says the Gemara, that's not true. What was the Mishnah dealing with when it was discussing the cases of Kade Yain and Kade Shemen? Bitivla. That's usher to eat. And that was a Chiddush. So the Mishnah said, that case we had to detail. Why? Because had we not detailed the case 
of uh, the oil and wine when it was tevel, that we would not have known was included as an item that can be covered. And therefore, so far, everything seems to be able to be covered. And hachanami mistabra. It's reasonable to assume that when our Mishnah stipulates that wine and oil can be covered, that it is tevel. Had it been that our Mishnah had intended that kade yain, and when it refers to the pitchers of wine and the pitchers of oil, that they were mutter and that they were not tevel, that would have already been, of course, that's mutter to cover. Why wouldn't it be mutter to cover? There's no reason to include the line of, hey, don't forget that you also can cover the pitchers of oil and the pitchers. Of course, you can cover them. There must be a, a reason why the Mishnah included that case. Pshita, obviously, it should be included. And the answer is the reason why we're allowed to include them is because, um, is because they were made out of Tevel. Says the Gemara, well, Really, the truth is that even without your explanation of Tevel, I could come up with another reason why the wine and the oil in our Mishnah needed to be explicated. And that is, I might have thought that only that only if you were going to lose a barrel of wine or a barrel of, uh, of oil, then it would have been problematic. But these these small pitchers of wine and the small pitchers of oil, maybe we would have said that we are Choshesh. It's not only it's not only with a significant loss do we allow one to cover an item that may get damaged because of rain, even a relatively insignificant, like let's say you have, you know, I, uh, the wine I use for bristles. I go to Jewel. I don't let uh, anybody buy wine for me. I want the right alcohol percentage and certainly by the fry who don't know Heksher at all. I buy all the wine. So I go to Jewel to the bottom rack and I buy the Kedem wine for $4.59 each per bottle. You buy six, you get a discount. Fantastic deal. So they're very cheap. Is it a hefsid maruba for me to lose one of those bottles? No, I leave them in people's houses all the time. I forget. I don't care. It's nothing. Halachically speaking, I can still cover that. I, it's, a, it's only a hefsid maruba. That's what the Gemara is coming to teach us. Oh, so that's, uh, all of that was, uh, was the first part of this sugya. The Gemara continues almost two-thirds of the way down, halfway through the thick lines. We have a Mishnah. Nosnin kli tachas b'shabes, that you're allowed to put a kli underneath dripping water, and usually this water is disgusting. The water that drips through your house is uh, maybe pure rainwater is not so bad, depends where you live. But rainwater that's like dripping off your house, I would not drink that. That's disgusting. Have you ever looked in your gutters? Because I've cleaned out my gutters before. They're disgusting, and I would certainly not drink that water. So what do we see from here? We see that you're allowed to cover something that's muksa, because that water that's dripping down is gross, says the Gemara. That would then imply that the shita of, of Ula is correct, that you're allowed to cover the bricks, because we see here that you're allowed to cover the dirty water, and both of them are muksa for Shabbos. Says the Gemara, not a raya for Ula, but dilaf ha-ra'ui. No, this, this dripping of water is clean. It's coming off of a part of the roof that you just cleaned, or whatever the case may be, it's, uh, it's through a, a system that you've created that the water is clean. All right, let's try again. Toshma, porsen machzeles, algabe levein and We see that one is allowed to uh, take a, you know, like a tarp, and you're allowed to put it on top of bricks on Shabbos. And that should be muksa. Bricks are muksa. So we see again a raya for Ula. Says the Gemara, not necessarily. Da'ais or vinyana. They're extra bricks that are loose. They're not part of a building. And dechazi lemizga alayhu. And they are, you can sit on them, you can lean on them. They're, they have a use, so they're not muksa. So again, we tried to prove for Ula, we, we failed. Let's try again to prove for Ula. Says the Gemara, we see that you're allowed to cover 
with a tarp, with a blanket of some kind. You're allowed to cover rocks on Shabbos. Everybody knows that rocks on Shabbos are moksa. Yeah, but we didn't live in their culture. They use rocks for cleaning themselves after going to the bathroom. Ba'avonim mikurzalos. Mikurzalos are, uh, they're shaped in a very specific way. They kind of have not so much sharp edges, but well-defined edges to help clean oneself. Dechazi on the Beis those were used for the bathroom. So again, we try to again prove Ula, that just like Ula wanted to say that these uh, bricks which were useless were allowed to be covered. We see here over here, these bricks which are useless can be covered the stones. We say, no, they're used. All right, what about the next case? Tashma. We see another case where maybe Ula is correct, that you can even cover something that's muksa. One is allowed to take a tarp and cover over a beehive on Shabbos. And not only can you do that, you can do it under all circumstances. As long as you don't have kavana to trap. This is a bit of a strange line. Okay, as long as you don't have kavana, but what if you trap? Right. So if it's a definite trapping, so what does this line mean? This is a little hard to understand. And we're going to get into this in the Gemara. So it says the Gemara, but before we get to the difficult part, uh, just I should say not difficult, it's not so hard. But before we try to explain the line about Sud, says the Gemara, No, you're covering that, but it's not muksa because you're, you, you, uh, you saved some honeycombs that you were ready to eat even on the holiday, even on Shabbos. So no problem. Omar lei rav ukva mimishan. Rav Ashi, Rav Ukva Mimishan says, your story makes a lot of sense about the bees, that you're allowed to cover that, that you can cover the beehive, but bees don't last all year. Depends where you live. In Chicago, they're going to soon die out. They're great around Sukkot, and then they don't last much longer when it gets cold. They're all done for. Says the Gemara, I could understand why you say that the beehive is not muksa because you've saved some of the honeycombs for yourself because there's edible honey. But in the winter months, when it's rain season, there are no bees. So how can you say that it's not muksa? This should be a beautiful raya for Ula. Because the Mishnah says you're still allowed to cover the beehive. But why would you be allowed to do that if there's no honey in the beehive? It should be muksa. In which case, Ula seems to be right that you can even cover those bricks. Says the Gemara, nah, don't worry about it. Really, don't worry. The way that bees apparently... I guess, I don't know if this is uh, correct in modern science. I don't know, but the Gemara says that what would happen is that when bees uh, try to stay alive over the course of the winter is that they save um, they save two cuts of a beehive of the honey to support themselves, to, to, to sustain themselves over the course of the winter. So if that's the case, then you can eat those, says the Gemara, but those weren't you, those are not yours. Those are meant to keep the bees alive. They're not for you to take. That's not a raya. It says the Gemara. Well, I, I don't have an obligation to keep bees alive. Halachically speaking, there's no iser of tsar ba'alechaim when it comes to bugs. So it's not nice to step on bugs, uh, but if they're in your house, no problem at all. Tsar ba'alechaim doesn't apply. Uh, it, it applies, but one, it, there's nothing wrong with trapping mice in your house either. Uh, that's uh, not a problem of Tzar but in general, there's no issue of Tzar by bugs. So I'm taking their food and they're going to die. No, that's not my, they're bugs. That's okay. So it says the Gemara, I had in mind to eat their two chalas. I'll starve them. They'll die out. And uh, nothing wrong with that. So then says the Gemara, we have a problem with this. Let, let's say your answer is good. All right, you had in mind. You got out of it. Very good. It's not muksa. What would have happened if you didn't have kavana to take these two chalos, these two uh, pieces of honeycomb? So says the Gemara, the halacha would have been that it's asr, that a taka would have been muksa. So if it's muksa, 
So why are we talking about a case that speaks about tzad? If you're saying that what we're talking about is mukta, so why did you say in the brisa that as long as we make sure that we're not going to do tzad? That's not what you should have said. This is a semi-common phrase in Shas, and it means that you should have factored in your concerns explicitly into the brisa. How so? When do we say that it is not muksa to cover a beehive? When you had in mind to eat the two chalos, the two pieces of honeycomb that the bees were planning on eating for the winter, for hibernation. Period. What is the whole thing about sud? Why, why are we talking about Sad when it comes to the bees? So it says the Gemara as follows, six lines from the bottom, this is Pshat. Even if you had in mind, you still have to make sure you still have to have in mind not to do Kavan. So it says the Gemara, stop everything in its tracks. There's a problem in our in this Mishnah, this, this Brisa. This Brisa says that you're allowed to cover a beehive as long as you don't plan on trapping. So it says the Gemara, how do we understand this, this Brisa? It seems to be that we are concerned about Muksa, like Rabbi Yehuda, because what does Rabbi Yehuda hold? He says that we're concerned about Muksa. And what do we have over here? That if you're not if you didn't plan to take them, that it's going to be yes, or that implies that, you, that there's halachos of muksa. But Ema Seifa, at the end of the Mishnah, what does it say? There, at the end of the Mishnah, when it says, it's not talking about muksa. There, the Mishnah is showing its cards and it's saying our concern is not, is not muksa, it's sud, it's trapping. That's a son of Rib Shimon. That sounds like the sheet of Rib Shimon, De Omar, Shen Miskaven Mutter. So we have a machlokas here as to what our Mishnah is like. We don't know if it's like Rabbi Huda in regards to Muksa, and we don't know if it's like Rib Shimon in regards to Dabrashen and Miskaven. And certainly not consistent with people. That's for sure. The ratio is Rabbi Huda in regards to one Sugya and Rib Shimon in regards to another. Let's all get on the same page. Says the Gemara, this is really not a concern, but Tizbara de Rib Shimon. How can you say that Rib Shimon would ever say the line? that you're not allowed to trap. They both say about Rib Shimon as follows. Rib Shimon says that even though we have a principle of that when I don't intend on the malacha uh, being a result, but if that result is guaranteed, that's not that's called a psik resha. And when there's a psik resha, he's not lenient. So the example that I've given before is you're sitting uh, in a chair opposite a wall and you're bouncing a ball off the wall. There's also a light switch on the wall, like one of these light switches that are very flat, the ones that just kind of very quickly, you touch the top and you touch, not the flip switch, those are a little harder. But if you have one of these switches, you're throwing a ball against the wall. So if there's a very small percentage chance you're gonna hit the light switch, then it's mutter to bounce the ball off the wall. And even if inadvertently you turned off the light, no, okay, but that's not us or Dabr Shein Miskaven is mutter. But if the only spot on the wall is the, is the light switch and you know you're gonna turn it off, Rib Shimon wouldn't say that it's Dabr Shein Miskaven is mutter. So when the Mishnah says, you're gonna trap all the bees, but it shouldn't be your kavana. That can't be Rib Shimon. Rib Shimon doesn't say Dabrashen Miskaven in a case like that. Rib Shimon says in a case like that that it's also because it's a psikoresha. The results are definite. 
And the leniency of Dabrashen Miskavin doesn't apply when the results are definite. So therefore, the Gemara says, you're right. This Brisa is not talking about Reb Shimon at all. Le'olam kula Reb Yehuda. Really, the Mishnah, the Brisa, excuse me, about the bees is all talking about Reb Yehuda. What are we dealing with? What's our case? There are windows. So basically, you have a place where all the bees are, and you throw a tarp over it. However, the bees can still get in and out. You haven't properly trapped them. We discussed this in the, the previous, uh, one of the previous program of Ein Sudden. Uh, I think that was the third pair. Ain Southern Dougie Mabibarmi spoke, spoke about that there. If there's a way for them to escape, then you haven't really trapped them. If there's a window and you didn't cover the window, so then you're good to go. But Lo Tema the Rabbi Huda, and according to Rabbi Huda, the Brisa would not read, quote, Ubalvachlo Yiskaben Latsud. The language is a little off. We turn to the top of Lamid Vavamid Bays. Elaima, what should the Brisa have said? It should have said, Ubalvachlo Ya Asena Mitsuda. You shouldn't make it a netting whereby the animals can't get out at all. But the Gemara doesn't like this explanation of Rabbi Huda because that is extremely obvious. Pshita, obviously, as long as you don't cover everything, it's going to be mutter. And if you do cover everything, the ceiling and all, it's you know you have an occlusive dressing. You're done. It's airtight. Of course, that's a problem. So what's Rabbi Huda talking about? Says the Gemara, Mahu detema. This gets to the core of the halachos of tzad. Mahu detema. You might have said bemino nitzod aser. The only types of animals that are usher to trap are animals that we typically trap. Fish, um, game, a kosher game, whatever they are. Yeah, all true. Bees? We don't trap bees to keep them. We might trap bees to kill them or to get them off of the honey jar, but we don't want to have any interest in the bees. So therefore, maybe we would have said the only time that Sad is usher is bemino nitzod. However, shelo bemino nitzod motor. Kamash Malan, that we are concerned about Tzad no matter what. And that's what, what if this is coming to teach us. And Sikum Hadvarim, the summary is that the Brisa, which speaks about the bees, is all Rev Yehuda. And what we're talking about is a case where, yes, he covers the top of the place where all the bees are so that they don't get ruined, that the honeycombs don't get ruined. But there's no issue of Tzad uh, because he didn't cover it entirely with the net. And that brings us to uh, the answer of Ravashi. Uh, Ravashi has a different answer than all of this. We remember we asked a question, hey, what about the winter? And we said, don't worry, there was, there was two honeycombs inside. Ravashi has a totally different approach on this front. Ravashi Yamar, the language doesn't say in the summer and in the winter. The language was in the sun because it's hot. And when it rains, a little bit of a different language. And what can we see from there? We're not talking about seasonal winter or seasonal summer. What we're talking about is very simple. The month of Nisan, Pesach time, some days are cold, some days are hot. And in Tishrei, some days are cold and some days are hot. We had a great Tishrei, but it was a month earlier than usual. Wait till next year and we'll, we'll look back at this Gemara and say, okay, this Gemara has a little bit more teeth. But the Gemara's point is the Ikacham of Shamim. We have both, Vikadvash. And therefore, that's what we're talking about. So the the whole lengthy complexity that we just went through for the first approach of, wait a minute, hold on. How could you say If you say that implies that there's no honey. No, 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 there was honey. It was the two honeycombs we were saving to keep the bees alive. None of that. We don't need any of that. The Mishnah wasn't saying summer and winter. The Mishnah was saying on the days that feel like summer and the days that feel like winter. But in the common denominator to both is that there was actually still honey and the question falls away. That brings us to the two dots, seven lines down.
So we said in our Mishnah at the, at the opening of the parak, that we're allowed to catch the drip by putting um, a bowl, by putting a pot of some kind under the drip. Tana, the Brysa writes, if the Kli fills up, you can pour it out, and repeat, no problem, as many times as you need. There's no problems of Moksa at all. You have to make sure not to dump it directly on grass, though. That, of course, would be a problem of mashke, of choresh, the post can discuss what is the iser of watering grass on Shabbos. What is that? Think about what we have. We have choresh, and we have zorea, and we have kotzer. What, what, what is it? So some say that there is a tolda of choresh called mashke. Uh, that's an interesting approach. I don't remember seeing that in the Gemara, but I think the Egle Tal has a whole diun on this. The Egle Tal, Lamates, Egle Tal wrote a commentary on the Lamates Malachos, critical book when one is learning uh, Hilchos Shabbos Halacha But nevertheless, let's get, come back to our sugya. One is in fact allowed to uh, let the let the bowl fill up and then you can dump it out and start all over again. Be're Chaya, the Gemara tells a story. Be're Chaya de Abaye Daluf. The Beirei Chaya was the, the crushing room. He had a mill, like kind of like in his garage, and it was leaking. Now, the way that these, um, gr- these grinding machines were held to the ground was with uh, dried cement. And the enemy of, dry, of dried uh, mud, excuse me, the enemy of dried mud is water. So it started dripping inside that room. Also, the Kamei Rabbi ran to Shul. Rebbe, help me. What am I supposed to do? So, go, and what you should do is take your bed and move your bed into that room. Why? Because if your bed is in that room, so then, then the water that's dripping in, which is disgusting, has the status of a graf shell ray. Uh, which is the equivalent of today's dirty diaper. And if that's true, then you can take out the water, no problem. So when there's no bed in there, the graph show, who cares? You're not living in that room. But by moving your bed in, clever solution, by moving your bed in, so now the water becomes a graph shell, right? becomes disgusting. And therefore you can start collecting the water, no problem at all. Just remove it. The Talmud didn't like the answer. Yossi Vabai sat down. He's like, listen, Rebbe, the Kokashile. I don't understand something. What's the problem? Can I induce a scenario where I force the hand of halacha to say, oh, now it's a graf shel rei. If you could imagine that there's a, uh, a dog and the dog goes to the bathroom on your lawn and you want to take it off your lawn. So you pick up your whole Shabbos table and you move it onto the lawn. You forced that scenario. That's not a natural scenario of graf shel rei. Leave it alone. It's on your front lawn. You're fine. Don't play on your front lawn. But it's a graf shel rei. You're not allowed to create that case. The In the meantime, while he's sitting there fighting with with Rabba about his psak to bring the bed in, and therefore you can remove the water. All the water soaked in, and it weakened the mud connections, and his whole thing fell down. Omar Abaye slapped himself on the wrist. Taisi li, I deserve that. Zavre Adamar because I went against the word of my master. Conclusion seemingly of the Gemara is that one is in fact allowed to, uh, uh, to make a graph shall ray the chathila. That's okay. You're allowed to come up with a scenario like that, though if I had to make an implication from the Gemara, it would only be where there's a tzorech. It would only be where there's a risk. So let's say you had a leak in your garage and you don't normally eat in your garage, but you have a lot of sensitive equipment. My father builds chalaboards. The wood is very, very sensitive to water for long exposures of time. So, okay, guess what, guys? 
we're eating lunch in the sukkah. Uh, we're eating lunch in the in the garage today, so that I can force the case of graf shalrei. That would be mutter. It says the Gemara Diuk, Amar Shmuel. We're a third of the way down on Lamed Vav and Beis. We're going to go um, to the very top line of Lamed Zayin and then we'll stop. Amar Shmuel, Graf Shel Rei Ve'Avit Shel Meme Raglaim Mutter Lehotzian Ashba. If you have a Graf Shel Rei, again the equivalent of a dirty diaper, or you have a container of urine, the halacha is Mutter Lehotzian Ashba. Those can be taken out of one's house to be brought to the garbage. Bar Hashem. However, when you're bringing the container back in, the container that was holding uh, the, 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 the urine or the fecal matter, whatever it is, no you should first fill it up with water before you carry it back because the kli is disgusting. What is its purpose? At least bring back some water for the animals to drink. What's implied from here is that graf shall re agav mana in, that a graf shall re can only be carried agav mana, can only be carried inside of a kli in, but on its own low. So that, what would that mean, halacha So that if I have a dirty diaper, I first have to put it in something else to bring it to the alley, put it in the target bag first, and then carry the target bag. That's what's implied, because it seemed to be that the way that one was removing the urine and the excrement was in a clean. So says the Gemara, that's not a good deal. Tashma, I can bring you a raya, that we have a case of graf shel rei, where we don't use a kli. Da'ahu achbarta, there was a mouse, the ishtakach, be'isparmaki de ravashi, that was found in the spice bin of ravashi. Rav Ashi said, I think we saw this Gemara before. I remember learning it somewhere. It's Masecha Shabbos. Uh, pick it up by its tail, the Afkuha. Are you using a cleat? No, you're picking up the mouse itself. When I was in biolab and we used to do um, uh, procedures on mice, that was what they told us to do. Always pick them up by their tail. It's a Graf Shalrei. But anyways, that wasn't Graf Shalrei material. Anyways, we're halfway down. Let's start with the next Mishnah. The next Mishnah writes, this is... Uh, the Gemara is going to make the Mishnah very clear, but the Mishnah is a little, uh, a little, uh, a little difficult to understand for me. It was at least. Under any circumstance in which on Yom Tov, uh, in in which on Shabbos there's going to be a restriction, or Mishum Rishus in an area where there's something that you're allowed to do but not required to do, or Mishum Mitzvah, or you have a mitzvah to do it, but the chachamim restrict you b'shabbos. What are the things that you're not allowed to do on Shabbos that you're also then not allowed to do on Yom Tov? So says the Gemara, lo olin be'ilan. You're not allowed to climb a tree. Applies both on Shabbos and both on Yom Tov. Below rochven al You cannot ride an animal. Applies both on Shabbos and on Yom Tov. Below shatin al hamayim. You're not allowed to uh, to float in the water. Oh man, where's Mark? I hope you're watching this. Uh, one is not allowed to float on the water. That applies both on Shabbos and on Yom Tov. A person cannot clap. A person can't make a sound by hitting his body. And a person can't dance. Remember, we saw the Tosfos there earlier in the Masechta that uh, where Tosfos kind of said, oh, that doesn't apply nowadays because they were Bikim and we're not Bikim. Anyways, the Mishnah concludes. The Mishnah continues. What was an example in the Mishnah of something which isn't usher but also isn't a mitzvah that is usher on Shabbos and on Yom Tov? That's low done, and you can't sit in bezin below makachin. You cannot uh, get get married below chaltzin. You can't do chalitza below miyabmin. You also can't do uh, yibum. Uh, what uh, it's very strange because some of these are mitzvahs. That's uh, going to be one of the questions of the Gemara. 
Meanwhile, what are the examples of mitzvahs that we don't allow on Shabbos, that we do, and we equally don't allow on Yom Tov? Says the Gemara, a person has a mitzvah to give things to the base of Mikdash. So, Makdishin, Marichin, and Macharimin are different ways to make these dedications. It's a mitzvah to do so, but you cannot do so on Shabbos or Yom Tov. As well, there's a mitzvah to give Truma and Meiser. We've spent a lot of time talking about that of late, and that is also not allowed to be done. So a lot of these were said by the laws of Yom Tov and they apply on Shabbos as well. It's interesting because if you look at the Resha of the Mishnah, it says that if it happens on Shabbos, then you're Chayav Allah B'Yom Tov. And the Seifa says that Kol Elu B'Yom Tov Amr. That's a little difficulty. Hopefully we'll get to that a little bit later. Not today, but in the future. Kal V'Chomer B'Shabbos. Last line of the Mishnah, one of the most famous lines of this Masechta that is quoted all the time. The only categorical distinction uh, between the two holidays of Yom Tov and Shabbos is Melechus Ochel Nefesh. These are the Melechus that allow us to cook. Based on the Pasuk of Ach, and that is what is considered to be allowed. The Gemara starts to detail some of the things that are listed here, the ones that are restricted both on Shabbos and Yom Tov, Lo'ol and Bi'ilan. Why can't you climb a tree? We're afraid that someone may tear off a branch. Why can a person not uh, ride an animal on Shabbos? So the Gemara gives one answer that gets rejected. Get on a horse, they could easily run Chutz Latchum. How far is that? It's 3,500 feet, a little bit. It's two, three-fifths three of a mile, a little bit less than, a little bit more than three-fifths of a mile. Not so far. So says the Gemara, that's not allowed. No, that's not correct. Shmami, no, you're trying to say the Tchumen are Daraisa? If Ein Rochman al Gabe Behim is a rabbinic injunction, and the concern is Tchum, you're implying that Tchum is a, a Din Daraisa, and that's not true. We don't paskin that way. We paskin that Tchum is a Din Darabanon. So says the Gemara, therefore, that's not the concern. What then is the concern of riding a Behemah on Shabbos and Yom Tov? Alexander Mishum Yachtov Zmora. We're afraid that a person is going to break off a branch. What in the world is he talking about? Why are we concerned about breaking off a branch when you're riding a horse? So if you've ever watched horse racing, you'll know the answer to that. And Rashi says the same thing, six lines from the bottom, although Rashi said it first. Shem Yachtov Zmora Lahakosa. We're afraid that you're going to tear off a branch in order to hit the animal to make it move. So really, inherently, there's nothing wrong with riding an animal on Shabbos. It's a secondary concern that we're afraid that one will do that. You're not allowed to be in the water on Shabbos. And we're afraid that you might make something that will actually float. Machlokas in the Rishonim as to what exactly we're talking about here. Not for now. We said you can't clap. You can't make that sound by hitting on your body. And you also can't dance. Says the Gemara, why? We're afraid that a person is going to be such an expert that they could they could correct their errors in such a way that it would be a tikkun. We said that one of the examples of a rishus is that one is not allowed to sit in a, in a case of din. And the Gemara says here, it's a mitzvah to be to, to sit. Tzedek, tzedek, tirdof. We have a mitzvah for bezdin. So what are you talking about? Why, why is that? Why are you putting this in the category of rishus? So the Gemara says, you're right in general that that's true. But in this case, we have an ukimta. There's a bigger tamad chacham than you. So if there's a bigger tamad chacham, if someone asks you a shayla, so are you obligated to answer it? Is it a mitzvah for you to answer it in general? There's no mitzvah if there's a bigger tamad chacham than you. So that's why we have Batei Din with the biggest Talmud Chachamim in the community. That's usually how it's built. At least we tried for that to happen. 
And, uh, and when there's a bigger Talmud Chacham than you, then there is no mitzvah for you to answer the Shaila, but it's a Rishus, you, you could. So that's how this case of uh, Dunin is not a mitzvah deraisa. And then uh, the next case is, where are we? The last line, below the uh, One is uh, not allowed to get married. So what, what are you talking about? You call that a Rishus? Getting married is a mitzvah. This is a big machlokas rishonim. Is getting married a mitzvah? Yes or no? Is it a no? Is it a yes? Or is it just a hechi timtza to get to the mitzvah of pruervu? So it says the Gemara, lo tzricha isla isho banim. It's after one already is married and has children. So what does the Gemara imply here about the dindo raisa of, uh, of getting married? That there's only a dindo raisa to get married as it relates to having children, seemingly. Not so simple because it says isha uvanim, which is uh, the extra word. If you is that what, what is that pruvu? So it's not such a clear gemara, but that's why there's a discussion in the rishonim. Not only here throughout shas, this conversation comes up as to what exactly is going on here with the mitzvah of getting married. But the gemara does say that yes, getting married is a mitzvah when one does not have an isha uvanim, but once he already has them, then it is not a mitzvah. We'll stop right here on the top line of lamed zayin. Mirza Shem tomorrow night we'll learn a blot and a half. Sunday night, we have a Seum. I have a, a list of about 11, 12 people who have signed up. If you've sent me anything, I have recorded it. Uh, if you would like to sign up, please do so uh, as soon as you can, preferably before Shabbos, so that I can order uh, the appropriate amount of food. Uh, we'll be ordering from Sandwich Club. On Monday, I uh, most likely will be pre-recording and posting. If that changes, I will let you know. Wishing you all a beautiful night. Thank you.